Bible that I read. One of the first books that I actually dove into and, and uh, God really used in my life. And I remember as a young person, my parents bought me a Bible uh, one year for Christmas. And it was a very nice Bible, a Cambridge wide margin Bible. I've actually got it in my office in there. And uh, you, you open it up and I mean, it's this massive Bible. I mean, it's a two-hand Bible. You get all of the two hands. And, uh, but I remember that Bible I opened up and the first book I went to was the book of James. And I got this pink highlighter. And I went through and I decided I was going to highlight all the verses that really stood out to me in the book of James. Well, as I read through the book of James, I got through verse number one. I said, oh, that's really good. And I highlighted that. And I got to verse number two and highlighted that. And verse number three was good too. And so I highlighted that. And, and by the time I was all said and done, I pretty much highlighted the entire book of James. If you went and you looked at that Bible, the entire thing is highlighted in pink highlighter uh, all through the book of James. And uh, I love the book of James. One of my favorite books in the Bible. And, and as I was praying and saying, Lord, what, what would you have me to, to preach, preach from? And, and I was looking at a couple different books and, and the Lord just begin to lay on my heart this book of James. And there's some reasons for it. One of the reasons is because it's just so practical. It's just so practical. It just is. I mean, it's just one of the most practical books in the entire Bible uh, that we can look at. It's just some of the things that, that you read through it and that you look through it. It's just, okay, well, that just makes sense. That just makes sense. Okay, that just makes sense. It's some very basic things, but how many understand that oftentimes the basic parts of the Christian life are, are many times the the parts that so often get neglected. And so as we look at the book of James over the coming uh, weeks and months, I hope that you'll ask the Lord to work in your heart, speak to your heart, and challenge you. If this is your first time, or maybe you haven't been coming to, to Wild Baptist Church for very long, hey, you've come at the right time because we're jumping into a new book, and you're going to get the foundation this morning that's going to lay the way for the rest of the book. And I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to do as we dive into the book of James. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help, and then we're going to dive right into this awesome book that I believe is going to change our lives as we go through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity you give us to be able to meet together, to be able to study your word. And Lord, as we study your word this morning, I pray that we would be challenged and encouraged to know you in a greater way. I pray, God, as we look at the testimony of James this morning, the reputation of James, I pray, Lord, that uh, you, would, you would encourage us, Lord, to be more like Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for uh, the moisture that you've given us, and, and we, we praise you for that. I pray, Lord, that no doubt we've got things on our minds. I know that with the holiday and things like that, there's, there's lots of things that could be going through our, our thoughts. I pray, God, for a few moments you'd help us to bring our thoughts into captivity, be able to focus on your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to, to allow your Holy Spirit to, to sow your word deeply into our hearts, that you'd bind the devil and his demons, that they wouldn't be able to steal away that seed. And God, that this morning... That we would hear from you. Thank you, Lord, for your word, the power that it has. And I pray, God, that as we look at it this morning, that that power, Lord, would be true in each one of our lives. We pray all of these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Verse number one, the Bible says this. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. The book of James is authored by the, the person whom the, ba the book is named after, the man by the name of James. And, and, and there are numerous James in the New Testament that we could look at, uh, but, but we know that uh, if you narrow it down, it, it could only really be one of the James that we find in the New Testament. And that James is the James who is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. 
James, this, this writer of this book, after he would write this book, he would go on to pastor the church at Jerusalem. We find uh, his mention in Acts. And as you go through Acts chapter number 15, you find James talked about there. And uh, James was used in a powerful way there in the book of Acts. In fact, many have estimated, many of the scholars have estimated that the church there at, at Jerusalem could have had as many as 20 or 30 thousand members in turn uh, in attendance listen James was a mega church pastor I mean that's what he was I mean James was was an incredible man of God God would use him in a powerful powerful way many of those converts that were in that church at Jerusalem were no doubt converted at that day of Pentecost you remember the day when Peter stood up and he preached the gospel and 3,000 souls were saved and then they were baptized and they were added to the church this church in Jerusalem the church that James would go on to pastor. But before James became Pastor James, he wrote this book for us. It's been estimated that this, this book was, was written sometime around A.D. 44, which is interesting because it makes it the earliest recorded book of the New Testament. You understand that the Bible, when it was composed, when it was put together, it, it's not put together in, in chronological order, right, okay? Uh, that means that Matthew wasn't written first, it's just that the events fall first, and so that's where it's placed. No, James, aren't you thankful for trains? I'm thankful for trains. Anyway, uh, speaking of, of the devil and stealing away the seed of God's word, anyway, uh, uh, where's Tara? She's in the other side. Rick is oftentimes in, in charge of the trains going through. I need to have a talk with him. Anyway, uh, okay, no, uh, the, the book of James. Hey, I'm getting distracted here. No, uh, the, the, the book of James was written, was the first book, the earliest written book in the New Testament. You say, why did they put it all the way back here? Hey, listen, I'm not the one that put it there, okay? Don't bother. Don't, don't go mad at me, okay? Just the way that they put it. We know in the Old Testament, the first book that was recorded, the oldest book recorded, was, was probably the book of Job. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. It's like way kind of stuck there in the middle. I know, I know, I know. But that's, that was probably the earliest book that was recorded. That was the book of James, written around A.D. 44. Before Paul came on the scenes and wrote, wrote all of his epistles. Before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sat down and put the pen to the, to the quill and, and the, the, or the quill to the parchment and, and wrote for us those, those wonderful gospels. The book of James was recorded for us. And it was written to some of the newest the baby Christians. Remember, they, they didn't have the, the Bible like we have it today. They didn't have all the, 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 the books of the Old Testament put together into one, one binding. They didn't have all the books. They didn't have any of the books of the New Testament written for them to look at. So when James writes this book, he's really just, I mean, the, the new believers, the ones that are fresh, the ones that are just learning things for the very first time, those are the ones that James is writing too. The Bible tells us that as he's writing these things, he's writing these words to the tribes that were scattered abroad. We see that in verse number one, where he says that to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. These, after Acts chapter number two, and and and, and God sent revival there, and the, the the people were saved. The church began to grow and expand, and it was a wonderful thing. But the problem was, is they weren't following the clear command of God. In Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, the Bible says, before Jesus went up into heaven, He gave a command. We know in Matthew He gave this, the, the command, but in, in Acts He said this, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto Me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts 
of the earth. He said, you're going to be a witness to me, and not only in your little town of Jerusalem, but, but listen, also in the, the greater vicinity, and also in the rest, and then also in all the world. It kind of be like, hey, listen, you're going to be a witness unto me in, in Whitehall, but not just in Whitehall, you're going to be a witness unto me in, in Montana, not just in Montana, you're going to be a witness unto me in the United States, but not just in Mo- the United States, you're going to be a witness to me in all the world. That was his command. We know in Matthew chapter number 28, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, before he ascended, he, he spake and he said to them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and whatsoever, teaching them to observe these things. And whatsoever I've commanded you, uh, lo, I am with you all the way, even to the end of the world. Amen. Jesus told him, said, Listen, I want you to go into all the world with the gospel. But what happened? They got saved and they stayed in Jerusalem. You know what happens a lot of times when the church doesn't do what they're supposed to do? God has ways of getting them to do what they're supposed to do. And so you come in the scriptures to to Acts chapter number 7. And a man by the name of Stephen who was full of faith stands before the the council and the religious crowd. He begins to preach to them and he starts all the way back with Moses and works all his way through. I mean just is awesome, awesome message and he gets to the end and he gives an invitation at the end to the religious crowd and, and, and just like you, the religious crowd, they responded but not in a good way. The Bible says that they were angry. They were furious with him. In fact, they were so mad they got up and they began to gnash on him with their teeth. We are teaching our kids not to bite, okay? But these people, they were so furious, they began to bite him. They, began, they, were, just, they were so angered. And then they took up stones, the Bible says, and they stoned Stephen to death. The first martyr that we find in the New Testament. The beginning of that persecution, the beginning of the martyrdoms of, of those that were followers of Christ. That, that all, each and every one of the disciples, except for John, would eventually become a martyr uh, uh, for, for the Lord. As, as that took place, the Bible tells us, beginning in Acts chapter number 8, that the church was scattered abroad because of the persecution. It was these young believers facing persecution... Facing resistance, not having the word of God like we have it today. I mean, not having any type of document that they can hold in their hand. Only the the words and the testimony of Jesus Christ that they had heard passed down from maybe a father, a mother, or somebody that they knew, a friend. It was these believers that James was writing to today. Throughout this book, over and over again, it's, it's almost like James pulls them aside, puts his arm around them. He says, let me share a couple things with you. I just want to kind of help you with something. I want to walk you through something. Hey, listen, this is a confusing part of the Christian life, but I want to walk you through it. As he speaks to the Jewish population, primarily, he, he walks through and he says, listen, I know this doesn't make sense, but let me, let me help you. Over and over, in fact, 13 times in five chapters, he calls them brethren. It's like he wraps his arm around and says, oh, brother, listen, I have something to tell you. You don't know this, but this is important. This is something that, that you need to grasp onto over and over again. Just some basic principles for the Christian life. And as we begin this morning, that's exactly what he does for us. You see, as we walk our way through this little New Testament book, we will read things that will be, for the most part, simple 
But as we look at these chapters, we'll find that oftentimes it's the simple truths that are so often neglected. Sometimes they're the most challenging. So as we work our way into it, as we get started, we're going to see right from the beginning a simple challenge. A challenge that James gives. He doesn't even form it and put it in the form of a, of a challenge, but it's a challenge to us nonetheless here 2,000 years later as we read it. And in fact, as we look at this, we're, we're not even going to look at the whole first verse. You say, Kyle, if we take this a half a verse at a time, we're going to be in James forever. Listen, we'll speed up in the days ahead, okay? But, but this week, we've got to pause for a second. And look at what James says by way of introduction. Who he is. He says this. He says, listen, I, I'm James. Hi, everybody. There's something that you need to know about me. I'm James, a servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't, don't forget who James was. I mean, listen, James was the half brother of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, like, it, there's some in this room, I have no doubt, that you probably have that you probably have relatives in your family that are famous, okay? I, I don't know, maybe not, but but I would assume there's probably some in this room that say, Yeah, I've got a relative that did did this or, or did that. Uh, I've maybe, I don't even know if I told this story before, but I had a relative that was a relative of my grandpa. It was a great guy. I don't even know what he was, okay? But he was a relative of my grandpa who had an opportunity to buy some property in, in Florida. And he looked at the land and he said, listen, there's, there's nothing that could be done with this. There's no reason. It's just swamp land. And he passed on it. He didn't buy it. And shortly thereafter, another guy came along and looked at it and said, wow. I think we could do something with this. And he made Disney World. <laughs> I'm thankful that my grandpa relative didn't buy the property, okay? You know, it's, uh, but, but it's interesting. I mean, like, if you had the last name Disney, like, you'd probably want to talk about it, right? If, if that was in your, in, in your family's lineage, you'd probably be really, th- you'd probably want to do everything you could to find out just how close you could, because maybe you could get something from it, right? You know, I mean, like, the, I mean, like the, there's certain names that, that have a connotation with it that you're like, wow, yeah, uh, I'm thankful that that's part of my, my, my lineage, my heritage. There's other names that you'd want to completely just, just you don't want anybody to know about. Like, if, if in your lineage, somewhere along the way, there was the name Bundy, okay? And the, you're, you'd probably be like, you know, I don't think I'm going to dive too far into that one okay we'll just leave that one sit where it is all right i mean there's certain names that have certain connotations and and if you have somebody that that you know that maybe is famous for something good you point to and say oh listen i'm related to to this person i I, a a fellow here in town uh richard shepherd lives across the road here he he took uh took my family tree and he did a a lineage thing and he he went back and he 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 looked through this and, and and he he found out that some of my family came over on the mayflower I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but hey, I'm going to take it, all right? I mean, how neat is that? I mean, to be able to go back and, and to do that, why? Uh, you you want to identify with, with something that, oh, look at this. This is a, a really cool part of my life. Listen, if I was James, the first thing that I would say is, hey, listen, everybody, my name is James. I am the half-brother of the Jesus Christ. I mean, whoa, wow. That's who you are. You're James, the half-brother of Jesus. Whoa, that's awesome. Everybody in here would probably do that. But that's not what James does. No, what does James say? James, by way of introduction, sets the stage for the rest of the book and and for the lessons he's going to teach us throughout it. He calls himself a servant. 
servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, this wasn't always the way that James saw himself. It wasn't always the way that he referred to himself. In in fact, back in Mark chapter number 3, Jesus was speaking to the multitudes and and teaching them, training them, giving them uh, his words in in a powerful way. And, And when the family, James, heard about this, the Bible says they went to lay hold on him because they, they said, well, he's beside himself. <laughs> you know what they said? They looked and said, oh, man, oh, he's doing it again. I'm teaching these people. He's got, look, he's got a crowd. Oh, he's lost his mind. Does that mean the things that he's teaching is crazy? That's what they thought about them. That's what James, his half-brother, thought about. He said, man, my brother, my half-brother, he's nuts. He's a, he's a crazy person. I mean, he's a conspiracy theorist. He, he doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's what, that's what they thought. And in John chapter number 7, the Bible tells us this. Neither did his brethren believe him. They rejected Jesus' words. James didn't believe what Jesus had to say. As Jesus stood and as he, he, he gave uh, the gospel, as Jesus stood and, and spoke about how he was going to die and, and rise again, as, as Jesus uh, taught these things, even as Jesus performed the miracles, James stood by with his arms folded and said, This guy's nuts. I don't believe this. I mean, can, can you imagine what it was like to grow up with Jesus as your, as your brother, as your half-brother? Oh my goodness, a truly perfect sibling? (laughs) Some of us grew up in in homes where our parents thought that one of our siblings was perfect, right? You know, we we probably experienced that before where where it was like, you know, they could do no wrong and it was like you would do something, you get in trouble, they do it and they're they're the the prize child. It's like, come on, you know? I mean, like we, we, not my family, yours, okay? But I I mean, like maybe you, I mean, we probably experienced this in in one way or another, right? Well, Well, listen, you imagine being in James' family? His brother was perfect all the time. He never did anything wrong. I mean, like every every day. I mean, like every day they wake up and, and Jesus was up before him. It's like, oh, what? do you never sleep? I mean, like what? What in the world? Jesus, I mean, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, yes, sir, yes, man. I mean, just always, just just perfect. It's like, yeah, you know. I mean, like that had to be the way that James felt. I mean, he got a hundred on every test that he took. A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus. It's like, what in the world? I mean, James, over time, had clearly grown to resent him for it. He wasn't interested in hearing talks about Jesus being the the Son of God. To listen, listen to his brother educate the elders on things concerning the Scriptures. I mean, come on. Like, you know it all. I mean, like, that must have been how James must have thought to witness Time and again and again and again, people that would come and, and say things to Jesus that James would say, let's, let's go get them. Come on. We'll, we'll take them out this time. And, and Jesus to respond with graciousness and humility. And James is like, ah, you're driving me crazy. I mean, it just, just, just throw a punch one time. I mean, come on. I mean, that was, that was the life that James grew up with. But what's clear is when James witnessed Christ's death, On that cross. When Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Something changed. No James. James after all those years. Realized that the the perceived perfection of Jesus was, was a reality. 
Jesus really was perfect. The teachings that he gave were not just uh, meaningless ramblings. No, they really were the gospel. The life that Jesus lived wasn't just a, a, a double life. No, no, no. It was real. It was perfect. And it was a life that was to be emulated. And it should come to no surprise to us to read as James says here. Man, there's one thing that I learned from, from my half-brother Jesus. And what I want you to know is not that, listen, I was, a, I was the half-brother Jesus. No, what I want you to know is I'm a servant of God. And listen, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not a title of praise, not one of accolade. No, I am a slave of Jesus I am a servant of Jesus. There's no question that James had known the story of Jesus' life and the times that he had served other people. As he knelt down, as those kids came running to him and his disciples tried to push them away, he said, no, 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 come unto me, come unto me. And and he took those little children and put them on his knee. There's no doubt that that James could remember the times that, that, that Jesus was inconvenienced By the crowds that came just looking for someone to help their daughter, to help their loved one, to help their friend. And Jesus took the time out of his schedule to go to them and to serve them. There's no doubt that he knew the story of Jesus on that day. And the multitude was famished. I mean, there's over 5,000 men plus the women and the children. This great crowd of people. And Jesus looks out and has compassion on them. And he loves them. And he says, listen, we need to feed these people. And the disciples looked at him and said, what are we going to feed them with? We don't have any thing he said we'll go see what you got and they go out and find the little boy with the five loaves and the two fishes they bring him to jesus and what are these so many and jesus took them and said i'll show you and he began to serve those people and to feed those people and after the five thousand men plus women and children were fed then the bible tells us that he sent his disciples about and they came back with baskets full of fragments oh how god used Jesus in such a mighty way over and over again to to serve these people. And here, James, no doubt, knew the story. He knew the testimony of Jesus as a servant. He knew the story from John chapter number 13. See, on the night before Jesus was to be crucified, the night before Jesus was to die, Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room. In less than 24 hours, he'd be nailed to a cross. He'd be pierced through his hands, through his feet. The crown of thorns would be placed and beat down onto his head and into his scalp. Oh, listen, his back would be torn. He'd be mocked. He'd be sped upon his fist. The fist would blow across his face. He would go through immense suffering. Jesus knew all of it was about to happen. Shortly after, Judas would leave that group and and would go to betray him. But before all of that happened, there's 17 verses there in John chapter number 13 where Jesus does something that's really unexpected. Something that honestly, if it wasn't recorded for the scripture, really wouldn't mess up the timeline of of everything that else that happened. In fact, it's the only place that it's found in the scriptures is right there in John chapter number 13 in those first 17 verses. It's the only time that you find it in the gospels. It's not mentioned in any of the others. But it's 
those verses in John chapter number 13 that contain an event that no other gospel contains. It could be left out. It could be passed passed by. In fact, the very last verse in the book of John tells us that if all the works of Jesus were contained in books, the world couldn't contain the volumes. So why would it be put there? Put there to to teach us something. To teach his half-brother James something. See, on that night, Jesus gave an example what it meant to be a servant. In John chapter number 13, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which is in the world, he loved them unto the end, and supper being ended, the devil now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him given all things into his hands, and that he was come from, from God, and went to God. And you understand there's a lot of things going on here. A lot of things going through the mind of Jesus. He knew all that was about to happen. In the midst of all that, what did he do? The Bible says in verse number 4, he rises from supper. He laid aside his garment, took a towel, girded himself. And after that, he had poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. The disciples are finishing up their meal. You can see them as they're eating there, no doubt, enjoying their time together as they're eating the food there around that table. And as they're there, as so often was the case, we can, we can be pretty certain what their conversation was. Why? Because over and over again they talked about it. Hey, Pete, who do you think is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, you can just mark it down. That's what they were talking about. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's going to be, I don't know. I mean, John's pretty close to him. Maybe it's going to be John. Yeah, it's probably John. No, no, Peter's, Peter's up there. I mean, Peter's always, I mean, he's kind of like a roller coaster, really. But I mean, I really feel like at the end, maybe it's going to work out for Pete. And, you know, and I mean, like, he's going to be the greatest. He's going to be the greatest. And here they are. They're conversing amongst each other and, and maybe talking about what had happened during that day and, and kind of going back and forth with one another discussing these things when Jesus stands up. You almost hear the crowd go silent. The, the group go silent as, as Jesus walks over and he picks up, right over by the door, he picks up this, this little, little, little bowl that's full of water. And he grabs that towel right there and all the disciples are going, what's he doing? What's going on? See, when they walked in, nobody, nobody had washed their feet. You say, well, that's, I mean... Okay, what's the big deal? Well, I mean, we know that, that at that day, I mean, they weren't wearing the nice loafers like we have today, right? I mean, they, they didn't walk in, in, in the nice Nikes that we have today. No, they, they had sandals on if they had any shoes at all. And so as they went through the dusty streets, their feet became dirty. So it was customary when somebody was to, uh, to come over to a house, when somebody was to enter into a house, there would be someone there to wash the feet of the people. Now, that, that job normally would fall to the lowest servant in the household. Whoever the lowest servant, the lowest on the totem pole. And if the family didn't have a servant, it would fall to the youngest child. How many of you are the youngest in your family? Oh, man, that's awesome. Okay, listen. I mean, and maybe you're an only child here and you're like, oh, no. I mean, that would be on mom and dad. Please, you know. It would fall to the youngest child to wash the feet of all the guests that came to the house. And I mean, it was, I mean what a disgusting, dirty, ugh. I don't like feet. 
Okay, listen, I will rub Tress's feet, but I ain't touching yours, okay? It's just not happening. I mean, I'm just not a feet person. I mean, they stink, they smell, and they're dirty, okay? It's just gross, all right? And, uh, I mean, it, uh, you can just imagine what this has been like. I mean, like, as a child, you're sitting there, and you're, 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 you're washing their feet, and there's, like, they didn't, they didn't have toe jams because they didn't have socks. But, I mean, like, maybe there's, like, dirt, dirt you know, muck balls or something in their toe. And, I mean, like, they're washed in between the toes, and, oh, you missed a spot, you know? I mean, like, that's what it was like. I mean, it's a disgusting, disgusting thing. I mean, it's really about as low as you could go. And Jesus walks over and he picks up that bowl and he picks up that towel and he walks over to his disciples and he kneels down in front of them. And he knows what's about to come. He knows what's going to happen the next day. He knows about the betrayal, the suffering. The father turning his face away. He knows about his death, his burial, his resurrection. He knows about all these things that are about to come. And in light of all those things going through his mind, Jesus serves his disciples. He he walks over to them and the God of creation. You understand the Bible tells us that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was a part of the creation. I mean, he was right there when he created all things. The creator of the universe. Who, listen, could have said, let their feet be clean. And it would have been done. <laughs> Kneels down as creator to his creation. And begins to wash their feet. He washed the feet of, of the one that would deny him, Peter. The, the washed the feet of the one that would doubt him, Thomas. Washed the feet of the one that would deceive him, Judas. And he washed the feet of all that would desert him, his disciples. In a few hours, he would show the greatest form of humility and service as he would die for them on the cross. Philippians chapter number 2 says this, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. Took upon him, listen, the form of a servant. He made the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus demonstrated in the greatest way possible what it meant to be a servant. Just before he was going to be crucified on the cross, he washed their feet. And then he got up from washing their feet and went and gave his life for them. Humility. Servants. It was that aspect of Jesus that showed us why he is and will always be not only the savior of the world, but the greatest leader who ever walked the earth. Why? Because the greatest leaders always the greatest servants. And it's no wonder that James 
would go on to pastor such an incredible church in Jerusalem that God would bless so mightily. Because James knew what it meant to be a servant. In fact, he recorded for us one of the most familiar verses. In James chapter number 20, or in James chapter number 4, James said this, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. He was recalling back to Proverbs 29, where the Bible says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. In chapter number 16 of Proverbs, of verse number 19, he says, Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to invite the spoil with the proud. And so James writes, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, the tree that bears the most fruit usually bows the lowest to the ground. And James says, if there's one thing that you know about me, yeah, yeah, I'm the half-brother of Jesus, but that's that's not the thing. I want you to know that I'm a servant of God. A servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, when describing your life, if you were writing the book, if you took the quill, the quill out of the ink and you put the pen to the parchment, would the word servant find its way anywhere on the list? The truth is, is most people are so busy making a name for themselves. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That they don't take time to serve anyone. Because serving takes time. Serving costs something. Serving isn't easy. But there is no time in your life that you're more like Christ than when you're serving someone else. When you're serving the Savior. We need to stop trying to make a name for ourselves and start making a name for Christ. In a world that runs people over trying to fulfill the me first attitude, may we as Christians decide to demonstrate Christ and serve others. James says, listen, the first thing I want you to know about me, it isn't about the background of who I am. But I want you to know someone. I'm a servant of my God and my Savior, my Lord, Jesus Christ. And if this were your letter, how would it start? Oh, listen, I'm Kyle. I'm the pastor at Whitehall Baptist Church. I do cabinets on the side. I'm the husband of Tress. I'm, I'm the father of Jace, Kanoa, and Jackson. I'm the son of, of, of Troy and Marquita. I, I could go through and I could tell you a lot of different things about myself. Hey, I, I've told you last week, I'm a fan. I bleed cream and crimson of the Indiana Hoosiers. We could talk about that as well. But I wonder if anywhere on the list with the words, I'm a servant of Jesus. The truth is, is while we will oftentimes call ourselves and view ourselves as a servant, the true test is not what we call ourselves, but how do we respond when we're treated like a servant or expected to to act like one? 
Because oftentimes when we're treated like a servant, when we're expected to act like a servant of Christ, that's when we bristle up and say, well, do you know who I am? You want me to scrub the toilets? (laughs) Do you know who I am? (laughs) Do you know how much money I make? Do you know what I do for a living? Do Do you even know me? I mean, like... There Jesus is kneeling down, creator of the world, washing the feet of his creation. Giving his life on the cross. And we're too good to serve. Friend, are you a servant? Very few people would recognize or remember the name Edward Kimball. In fact, if I asked this morning, unless you've studied the life, no one here would know. Who Edward Kimball was. Edward had a passion for God. He, he, he loved the Lord. But Edward wasn't looking for fame or for anyone to remember his name. In fact, Edward's life was, I mean, one of his main focuses was as a teacher of a, of a young boy's Sunday school class. There's not a lot of praise, not a lot of accolades that comes from teaching little kids. I mean, like... When you teach adults, they'll come up to you and, and, everyone, and whenever I was in evangelism, uh, you'd have the preacher handshake every once in a while, okay? You don't know what that is, okay? But, but if the preacher handshake was every once in a while in evangelism, you, you'd finish and you'd stand at the back and you're shaking people's hand every once in a while. Somebody'd come up and they'd slip, you know, a, a $20 bill into your hand and, and the preacher handshake and you, you kind of like, it's like, it's like, it's like a drug deal, okay? But I mean, like you go up and, and, and you go and you go and you shake hands and like nobody knows, but me and him know and it's like. You know, and uh, I mean, it was kind of the, the preacher handshake, right? And uh, you know what? What is it? You know, you, know, you want people to, to know who you listen. That there, there's no little kids walking up to the Sunday school teacher saying, "Hey, that was a good lesson today." <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work like that. You know, I mean, at the uh, best case scenario, they might spit in their hand and give you a handshake. I mean, like that's that's what little boys did. That was who Edward Kimball taught. But Edward Kimball became burdened for his Sunday school class. He he found himself. One day at a shoe store of the parents of one of those young boys. It was at that shoe store that this burdened Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, witnessed to one of those boys in his Sunday school class. Gave him the gospel. And that young man got saved. Praise the Lord. That's a wonderful, wonderful. Anytime somebody gets saved, the angels in heaven rejoice. Praise God for that. But that young little boy grew up and while as a young man he was known as Dwight, he grew into a name that may be more familiar. His name is D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was used of God to preach on two continents and shake them with the gospel. It's been estimated that D.L. Moody led to over a million people to the Lord Personally, I, I don't know if that's even possible, but that's what they said. He, he was used mightily of the gospel. And while many would recognize the name D.L. Moody, in fact, as I just said, everybody said, oh, D.L. Moody, yeah, we know who, who that is. Nobody knows Edward Kimball. Oh, but I can only imagine what it must have been like when Edward Kimball passed away and went to eternity. The millions that came to him said, thank you. 
Thank you for serving. Thank you for leading Dwight Mead to the Lord. Thank you for your heart. And while that's a wonderful thing, and praise God for it, can I tell you what the greatest part was? The greatest part was not the accolades of, of the people that when it came to him said, thank you for serving. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for being a servant. That wasn't the greatest part. Can I tell you what the best part was? I know it. When he stood before his Savior and he heard him say this, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How about us? We learn from the life of James. James says, I've got a lot of things to teach you, Christians. I've got a lot of things that I want you to know. But before we get to any of those things, I just got to tell you right off the bat, listen, yeah, 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 I'm the half-brother. But then listen, that's not what I'm done. That's not the most important thing. I want you to know this. Listen, I'm a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my life. That's my ambition. That's everything to me. We were writing the pen. Took that pen and wrote on the parchment of our life. You write your name. What would follow? Would anywhere on there the words say, I'm a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I pray with all my heart one day I stand before God. And when I stand for him, he's not going to say, good job, pastor, in that church. Good, good job being a, being a father. Good job being a parent. And those things are all vitally important. I'm not saying they aren't. Oh, but the one thing that I, oh, I pray that I hear. Well done. Good and faithful. Servant. How are you at serving today? Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed as we finish our service this morning. It's a simple thought, a simple message. And yet it's one of the most important ones that we can have, that we can hear. Are you a servant? You say, well, yeah, well, I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. What's your motivation? Is it so that people will stand and clap their hands for you? Or are you doing it for the Lord? I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I was preparing the message this week, God was working in my heart. There were some spots where he pointed out and said, Kyle, you're not serving me with the right motivation here. And maybe this morning, as the word of God was preached. So, you know, there's a lot of things in my life that maybe people could clap their hands for, but ugh, that's not what matters. Above everything else, I want to be a servant of the Lord. This morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. It's an opportunity for us individually to spend time talking to the Lord. In a few moments, the music's going to play, and as it does, you're welcome to come to an altar, but you can stay right in your seat where you're at, and I'd encourage you, would you talk to the Lord, and maybe if the Lord spoke to you this morning, you'd say, God, help me. Help me to be your servant. To give my life for that.
with heads bowed and with eyes closed, if you're able, let's stand together. Father, bless now this time of invitation. Work in hearts as only you can. I pray this in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and with eyes closed. As the music plays, you respond to the Lord this morning. As I said, maybe you need to come to an altar. Maybe you need to make your seat an altar. But I'd encourage you, would you just spend some time praying? Maybe God spoke to your heart today and said, you know, there's some areas in my life where I've not been faithful or serving like I should. God, God spoke to me this morning. I see in the life of James an example. Oh, there's a wonderful book here with a lot of truths. But if you miss this first part, you'll miss the whole thing. Isaac's going to come and lead us in song this morning. Hope you'll sing it from the heart.